This is Real Estate Rookie episode 201. Now that I got into real estate uh, as an agent wise, I knew it was time for me to have a backup plan. You know, I can't just be a realtor. You know, what if I break my leg? What if something happened to me? I need something as a foundation to back it up. And the more I started diving into the podcast that you guys do, um, speaking to my mentor, things things along those lines, I knew that investing was going to be a key part of my journey to eventually where I don't have to be an agent and, you know, just sling houses all day. I can start focusing on my time on developing houses and making money off of that. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we give you the inspiration, information, and amazing stories you need to hear to help you kickstart your real estate investing journey. And something else we like to do from time to time on the Real Estate Rookie Podcast is read some of the amazing reviews we get from some of our listeners. But I'm going to switch it up today because we got a a less than amazing review. And uh, I just wanted to share with you guys. I I got a good laugh out of it. So this one is from uh, Rexy Poo Poo. And uh, Rexy said... I've listened to the show since the beginning and I've learned some interesting information. However, one thing that's always bugged me is the host, and that's me and Ashley. <laughs> Individually, they seem okay, but together they completely ruin the show. They try to force the most boring, unfunny banter I've ever heard from a pair of hosts, and I'd rather they just skip to the interview instead of including their awkward, superficial ribbing at the beginning of each episode. I'm not sure if the issue is a lack of chemistry or what, but it misses the mark so hard that now I only listen to the episodes where the topic is about situations I'm actually curious about. So, so Ash, I don't know what it is. Maybe we got to like work on our chemistry with one another, one another. I don't, I didn't, did you feel like it's superficial? Like, I mean, I genuinely like you as a person and feel like we genuinely get along together, right? This isn't like a, like some TV show where we're friends on air and then we like hate each other as soon as we, we stop recording, you know? And I feel like the worst part is, is that we don't have enough time to actually talk together. So we do use the intros to actually find out what's Catch going out. on with each other. <laughs> yeah, like what's happening, But right? also there's the reviews about my fake laugh. And unfortunately I do laugh all the time and just like this. <laughs> yeah. So guys, if you are listening and you actually enjoyed the show, we would definitely appreciate it. Give us an honest rating and review. Um, and if it's more reviews about how me and Ashley don't have chemistry, then I guess we'll have to work on that. Uh, but luckily for us, there are lots of reviews out there that say that the show is helping folks. And uh, the more uh, reviews we get, the, the easier it is for us to reach more, more rookies. So if you haven't left an honest rating review yet, do us a favor and leave one. And maybe they just need to attend a Vegas pool party or a conference happy hour <laughs> yeah. with me and Sarah to see how we do have chemistry. <laughs> yeah, we, we do. We do get along with each other, right? Yeah. Uh, so let, let's get into the to the boring banter, I guess, really quickly. Ashley, what's uh, what's going on in your life? What, what are some some updates in the business? Super boring. I just closed on a property today. Well. I handed in my funds. It probably will close in a couple hours, but uh, it's a property I got under contract back in October, November. And it's a a woman that's, I think, 102 years old. She was getting wood delivered to her house. And the guy that was delivering, it was like, you cannot live like this and called social services, everything. And her family out of state, they ended up listing the house for her and she went somewhere And so just getting signatures and people that can sign on her behalf, everything has taken a really long time. So we're finally closing today. It is a hoarder house. We did the final walkthrough yesterday. 
and it's my in my first ever hoarder house. I've been through other people's, but this is the first of my own. Lots of treasure. <laughs> Congratulations! So, uh, Daryl, my business partner, we went through it with my my son Colt, my six year old, and just going through everything and looking at what what's treasure, what's junk, and my preference is just dumpster, throw everything out. Don't even take mm-hmm. the time, but there's a, a couple of really big old stoves in there. I'm thinking maybe just post a picture on Facebook Marketplace and say, hey, free, but you have to come and get it out of the house, and that saves us having to haul it out. Dump it. That's something I learned from James Daynard with the house that we're flipping together there was a old hot tub out back and same thing. He just listed online. Hey, freak, you just have to come and get it. And it was gone. So, um, if you have things you need to get rid of that, you know, one person's trash is another person's treasure. treasure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, congratulations, Ash. I'm I'm glad that you guys got another one under contract. What's, what's the plan for this one? Is it going to be a long-term rental or? Yeah, it's going to be a short-term rental. It's very close to a ski resort by us. So it's going to be our little ski cabin. It has a pond, it has a goat barn and it's on 10 acres. So. You said a goat's barn? Yeah, the lady had they goats have barns in there. for goats? Wow. I mean, it could I be didn't... a barn for anything, but it was, she has it made for goats with a little stall in there. And then there's like a little door they can go out into like a pen. And actually, when we were going through the house yesterday, she must have had it as a farm where you could come and you could milk the goats. And some <laughs> she called it Gypsy Woods. And they, she had little blue ribbons in there, like a first place uh, ribbon. Yeah. And it said, I milked a goat at Gypsy Woods <laughs> Farm or something like that. So that's what maybe one thing I'm going to save and I'm just going to hand them out to all my friends. <laughs> yeah, I milked a goat. When you when you come to BPCon, I need you to, to rock a shirt that says, I milked a goat. And uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that would be well, actually thinking is, like, would that be an Airbnb attraction? Because totally. you can probably talk milking more on this as Airbnb is moving towards experiences and that's totally. what they, they want to showcase on the platform. So do we actually have goats there? pay some neighborhood teenage kid to come and feed it and take care of it every morning and every night. And then if you stay there, you get to get to milk the, goat. play with the goats. <laughs> I love that idea, right? You just got to yeah. figure out the liability piece. All you need is one Airbnb guest talking about how the goat bit him or something like that. Tony, but, I'm so yeah. glad we think alike because that is always my first instinct. I went to a crash-a-rama, like a race car thing where yeah. they, they don't stop unless someone's life is in danger and they just keep going. And I'm like, oh my God, what is the liability of this? And they let people bring their own cars onto it and uh, yeah see, I couldn't sleep that was my first thought the liability here. <laughs> yeah. so what about you what's boring with you yeah so some boring updates for me uh we closed on another property two properties actually last week so we just started the rehabs on those so it's like things have been moving so fast so uh right now we have a, a couple of listings we're finishing off by the time we finish these two we'll be at 18 uh, total active listings. Um, and then we've got another four rehabs we're working on. And then we've got, uh, I think like another five properties under contract. So like by the, like over the next like 12 weeks, we're going to be at almost 30 listings, which is just like, it's, it's been, that's insane. it's been so crazy. Right. But I'm happy because the, the team's growing. So we hired some folks that's kind of helping, helping with the, with all this growth, but overall, just really excited for, for where the business is going this year. And, uh, we're still working on the big bear deal, hoping to get that closed out here shortly as well. And, you know, that'll add 23 units all in one fell swoop. So, um, yeah, 2022 is going to be a, a, a good year for us. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm so proud of you and Sarah and Omid. Uh, you guys yeah. are just doing amazing and it's been awesome to watch your journey and 
Good to know you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate it. But that, also, yeah. you have something coming up. I saw too on social media. This is how much time we don't have to talk because we haven't really talked about it. But you have something coming up uh, in the fall. Yeah. So we've got a, so, you know, the short-term rental space is still so new. Uh, there's not a whole lot of like conferences and stuff dedicated to short-term rentals. We went to one a few weeks ago in Nashville, but Sarah and I decided like, Hey, why don't we, why don't we try and throw our own, our own short-term rental conference? Uh, so we got that happening in September, uh, September 11th, the 13th. Uh, so you guys can head over to strsummit.com if you guys want to check that one out, but we're super excited. going to be a smaller kind of more somewhat intimate event. We're lim- limiting it to like 250 folks, but um, it'll be a cool time to learn all things short-term rental um i will have a a vendor booth set up for people interested in putting a goat on their property and you can (laughs) i will bring a goat and you can get a ribbon that says i milk the goat at the short-term rental summit (laughs) there you go that'll that'll be the one thing that draws in the crowd right yeah yeah Yeah, so we're we're excited for that but obviously you know it's it'll be a good time and then like literally a month later after that is uh, BPCon. So that's happened in San Diego. So we're going to be really busy with, uh, with, uh, with conferences here in the, in the fall time. But it, you know, like you're actually going to hear in today's episode, like networking and meeting the right person at some of these events can literally change your life. Like Gus found someone that changed his life through a meetup. So we're, we're, we're always happy to uh, be able to create some experience for folks to get to know other, other real estate investors. Yeah. So let's bring on uh, today's uh, guest who is Gus. And Gus started out working at a bank, hated it, uh, very similar to me and Tony trying to work in the corporate world. And he got stuck and couldn't find a way to move up the ladder. And he became a real estate agent. And from there, he grew his network. He uh, grew his social media and turned himself into an actual investor. So now he's doing both acting as an agent and an investor. But I think it's really interesting how he's found all of his deals. He calls it very random. Random, uh, which it is, but it's the power of referrals and word of mouth and just talking about what you want to do. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers... Proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. 
It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP Like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Gus, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you get started with telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Hey everyone. Uh, so my name's Gus O'Feely. I'm a real estate agent and I'm a long-term hold investor. Um, I'm originally from Connecticut. Came up to the state of Maine to go to the university, um, and basically, you know, I kind of forced my way to be an entrepreneur. I was working um, at a bank uh, where right after college, where you know I was doing great. And as time would go on, I would see I would be you know passed on to other individuals who've been at the bank for 10, 20, 30 years. And I got to a certain point where I was like, hey, you know, I'm looking how these people have been here for so long. I don't even know if I even like this job. So at that time, I started to shift my brain over to thinking about working for myself. And I ended up, you know, thinking about getting into real estate as far as not even becoming a real estate agent, just buying a place like a duplex or something along those lines so I could start my journey that way. Um, So I went on to... Uh, venture into that, I met a realtor. And when we went to go bid on a particular property, uh, that's when I caught the bug with, during the negotiation process when we were going back and forth. And I was like, man, I'm getting the thrill of just negotiating back and forth. Maybe this realtor thing is a lot cooler than I thought. So that's when I went to go ahead and start the class. And I was doing the class while I was still working my nine to five. Uh, so when I was doing the class, the, I remember the teacher told me, hey, if you're going to do this, be an agent, you got to do it full time. And then I was at a crossroads. Either I was going to do it full time and be successful in that or, you know, I was going to try to do both of them at the same time. And then I got a key call at the office one time and it was with a, a, a older person who told me that they couldn't afford their monthly bills because they were living off of their Social Security and their retirement. And I sat back and I thought to myself, like, I'm busting my butt my whole life to get to a certain point where I'm going to be living on a budget. And to me, that didn't make any sense. So that was the final straw. I gave my two week notice. My employers actually laughed at me and said, the economy is going to tank. You're going to be back here. You know, don't quit. You know, work your way through the last two weeks in case, you know, you want to come back. We still want you. But I know I was cashing out because I cashed out my 401k right after I left. And I banked on that. And I never looked back ever since. And sometimes I send them some emails letting them know how good I'm doing. <laughs> I love that, Gus. And congrats to you, man, for for betting on yourself. Um, I can't remember which episode it was, but Ash and I did a rookie reply on how I lost my job back at the end of 2020. And it was the same thing. Like I was at this crossroads where... I could either go out and try and find another job where, you know, I was underpaid and, uh, you know, like like not fully utilizing my capabilities or I could go out and really focus full time on our real estate business and, you know, betting on myself, like literally changed my life. So, you know, kudos to you guys for, for having that confidence in yourself, man. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. So Gus, before we get too far, can you just give us an overview of where your portfolio is at today? Yeah. So the key thing is I started after the pandemic. Um, so right now I have nine properties, six that are up and running um, and two that are currently being rehabbed um, and one that's going to be rehabbed, but we haven't started on that. And that last one is a flip. So the other eight uh, that I do have are all long-term hold investments. Uh, so that would put me at 23 units total. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. So we got to dive into the story a bit, right? Ash, like I'm hearing 23 units since the pandemic. So Gus, kind of start giving us just like the, the backstory, right? So you you have this job at the bank, you go out, you get your, your real estate license. And you said this was after the pandemic. Like what what time of, or what year was this when you started? So I started investing after the pandemic. As far as real estate, I jumped I jumped in as an agent in 2019. So 2019, I jumped in to be an agent and that's my life. You know, I'm the biggest thing I did is I saw what other real estate agents were doing around the area. And I also wanted to size up. You know, I'm very competitive and that, sometimes that's a flaw in my character, but it's also a good thing in my character because it keeps me pushing. So I would meet with realtors before I decided my brokerage, who I was going to go with, just to size them up and see if I was able to go ahead and do the same job. You know, after I met with four or five, I was very confident I would be able to do the job. Um, so one thing I saw, I added a bunch of realtors on social media, not to see what the houses they were selling, but I wanted to know what they were doing on social media and what could I take from each particular agent to create my own self. And that's when I hit social media the hardest. You know, I'm in the state of Maine. I want everyone to know this when I say this next part. Instagram isn't the biggest thing up here. Facebook is the biggest thing up here. Uh, so I started doing videos like uh, I had a video with my family and we we're talking about um, finding the best real estate agent and that I'm always available. And so we had a video it was in the middle of the night and the phone calls and I pick up the phone saying, hey, this is Gus from ERA Dawson. How can I help you? I just did videos like that to put eyes on me. Then I would share it on my personal page. Now, I knew once I get the eyes on me, now it's time to show me to show the closings. So once I got closings, then I had already had the eyes on me. That's when I took off because people want to they want to be interested in the person and they want to, they want to know you're doing the job the best way and you're actually doing the job. So my first year, as far as being a real estate agent, I did 50 transactions. Uh, that was in uh, 2019. Now, the year of the pandemic, I did um, two, uh, 71 closings. So my mindset was all the money that I'm going to get is I'm going to translate that into buying investment properties. Uh, so, of course, you got your regular home expenses at that particular time. But I cashed out my 401k, so I was living off that, and I would just store the, all the other money. Now, I didn't know about a lot of this stuff, uh, how to purchase homes. So my traditional thought was going to a commercial lender and buying a property through them, and they told me 20%, and they needed two years of, um, of taxes because I switched over from being an a employee to being independent myself. So after that two years passed, I knew I was going full-fledged and I was going to go embark on my journey. And that's where you guys helped me out and Clubhouse also helped me out later on. Let's talk about Clubhouse, what that is real quick, because I don't think that's as mainstream as a lot of other social media. As, as much as you guys have been for me, Clubhouse has also been that for me. That's every single morning I jump on the app and it keeps, it's like a, 
um, the kids use it now. I forget what uh, Discord. It's a it's a Discord. It's an app like that. So a bunch of people from across the actually it's across the world, but a lot of people in the country they join uh, they join in in the morning. There's a room. Um, and they're just talking everything real estate all day, every day. Every, there's multiple rooms throughout the day. That kept me kept me so focused as far as on the investment side. Uh, and I think that's why I was able to accumulate the amount of properties I have because it didn't make me scared because I was hearing everyone else what they were doing. I was like, man, if he's doing, it, I guess everyone else is doing it. And I would take on, I wouldn't take on bigger things. Then um, I think I was even ready for it. Even the people around me in my state, they were looking at me like, Gus, are you sure? That's kind of a big project. Then I would take the project onto Clubhouse and have that conversation. Like, yeah, man, go for that. If you don't want it, we'll take it. I'm like, whoa, okay. You know, this is giving me the courage and the confidence I need to start getting these bigger projects. Yeah, Ashton, we did a we did a clubhouse room, I think sometime during like 2020 as well. And yeah. Clubhouse is really cool, right? Because it's almost like a podcast, but it's live. And um, there's definitely, a, I think, a strong community of real estate investors on there. I haven't been on there as much lately. Like, is Clubhouse still active, Gus? Like, or is it still happening? It's Okay, so I wasn't on Clubhouse at the beginning. So I don't know how the beginning was. I heard a lot of people were on it. But it's still active. It's still knowledgeable. Actually, I do follow you when I first joined, but you never barely come on. So I, I, I could get that. But but there's tons of other people. Grant Cardone's on there a lot. So there's a tons of other people that I'm able to learn from. And I get to ask multimillionaires, you know, of course, you want to do your fact checks on these individuals, but I get to ask them questions. I'm a kid that I'm not a kid. I'm a man, actually, but I'm a guy that lives in the state of Maine asking these multimillionaires questions and they're giving me answers. You can't get any better than that, in my opinion. Yeah. Just one last thing on Clubhouse before we move on. Like, I, you know, you, you mentioned it, but being able to connect with the larger network outside of who you know in your immediate area, I think there's a lot of value in that because for a lot of people that are listening, you guys are new investors. Maybe no one else in your circle is investing and it can feel like a really lonely journey. So, whether that's Clubhouse, whether that's the Bigger Pockets forums, whether that's the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group, like just find a way to connect with your tribe and, and find some other folks that are on that same journey as you. So Gus, I, I want to go back because you you mentioned social media as kind of the the platform that you use to kickstart your career as an agent. And, you know, I, I love the idea, but I know a lot of agents when they get started, they're like, you know, they're, they're cold calling homeowners, they're, they're door knocking, maybe they're sending out mailers, they're trying to get like a, an ad on the, the bench bus stop. Like, what was it that made you think that social media was the right path to, 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 to use? And why do you feel that it works so well for you? I mean, you just think on how everyone functions. When you wake up, the first thing you do, you probably yawn and you ticket your phone and see who emailed you or what's going on on Facebook, what I miss on Twitter or Instagram. That's the biggest thing. People are jumping on their phones. So those other things, you know, my my company told me, hey, you know, do these things, door knock, cold calling, this and that. I'm like, Nah, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to make a bigger splash and I'm going to go ahead and reach out to the people directly, make content where they're going to go ahead and chime in or they're going to watch or they're going to share it and get my name bigger that particular way. And I wouldn't switch it uh, now that I look back because that and sometimes I look at my videos from the beginning, I, it's a little cringeworthy, but that's what got me to where I'm at now. So anyone who's listening out there, social media is the biggest key out there. And, you know, you know, there's as time develops, you know, there's going to be new things. But that's the number one, in my opinion. Gus, now that you've kind of built this social media presence, presence, you're a real estate agent. How does that transition into investing? 
when did you actually decide, okay, I'm not going to just sell houses. I am going to actually start buying them. Um, so since I joined into being an agent, everyone's going to, everyone's been talking, the market's going to crash. The market's going to crash. And I'm like, the market's going to crash. I'm hot right now. It's not, you know, if the market crash, I don't know what I'm about to do. Um, so like I said, I had thinking about investing before and I ended up not pulling the trigger cause I was scared before I got into real estate at all. Uh, but now that I got into real estate uh, as an agent wise, I knew it was time for me to have a backup plan. You know, I can't just be a realtor. You know, what if I break my leg? What if something happened to me? I need something as a foundation to back it up. And the more I started diving into the podcast that you guys do, um, speaking to my mentor, things, things along those lines, I knew that investing was going to be a key part of me, a key part of my journey to eventually where I don't have to be an agent and, you know, just sling houses all day. I can start focusing on my time on developing houses and making money off of that. Gus, you mentioned some mentors. Uh, how did you find them um, and what did they kind of provide for you as getting started as a rookie investor? Okay, so uh, when I became an agent and I'm doing my marketing, a buddy that I went to college with said, hey, Gus, there's, we're, I'm going to this you call it like a meetup. Mm -hmm. I'm going to this meetup. There's going to be a lot of heavy hitters in the area. Actually, they call it. He called it the Bigger Pockets meetup. I was like, "What's Bigger Pockets?" He's like, "You don't know what Bigger Pockets is." And then that's when I got introduced to you guys. But I went to the meetup and I met so many people, and we got down to business right when I went there. So like, what do you do? I'm like, I was like, I'm an agent. I was brand new at this time. And they're like, what are you seeing as far as the market? I didn't even know how to answer these questions. And one guy was like, hey, I w I'm thinking about listing my trailer. You meet me tomorrow, 7 a.m. in the morning. I'll list it with you. And I was like, holy Toledo. I, like, I just went to this meeting. I'm about to get you know, my second listing. You know, Before that, listings were harder to get by. Buyers were easier to get. Listings are a little harder for someone who's new. Uh, so I met him 7 in the morning. And he's like, you're a man of your word. You showed up. I made it early on purpose after, you know, we might have been having a little fun the night before. So I met him that uh, that morning. Um, and ever since then, me and him have had a big bond um, together as far as him being my mentor, giving me advice, um, giving me things he's done. He's wrote he's written a book. So it's, it's just been an awesome relationship. I just want to add one thing like that. That is a, a prime example, Gus, of the power of networking. Like, I, you know, we, we encourage everyone who's new to go out there, find your local meetup, find your local RIA, and just start talking to other people that are in the same space. I've shared many times in the podcast that my life changed because of a meetup. Like, I only started investing in short-term rentals because of someone that I met at a meetup. And you, Gus, were able to find your second listing, a potential mentor, just by having a conversation at a networking event. So, man, I, I you know, I, that, I couldn't think of a better example of what happens when you get out there and you start networking, Gus. So kudos to you, man, because I, I love seeing that. Thank you. When did the first deal take place? So you start going to meetups now, you have a mentor. And how did you decide what strategy you want to do? You said you have some buy and holds, you have a flip going on. Um, what kind of helped you decide as to what strategy you would take on for your first deal? Now, do you mean my first deal as far as uh, investing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my first deal, how uh, investing wise... So I got a call, you know, from, you know, doing my sponsor ads, an individual wanted to see uh, a house and had like seven to 10 um, storage units in the back. Uh, so I go ahead and I show them the property. 
Um, and then he tells me, yeah, I got this five unit. Um, it's in the college town. I'm thinking about selling. And at that time, you know, I was thinking more as an agent. I was like, man, a five unit, you know, I can make, you know, X amount of dollars off of that. So I was actually trying to sell that property at first. So uh, we were actually under contract with, uh, I got was getting both sides and the deal, the deal fell through because it did it in the praise. Um, and then I'm listening more to uh, Bigger Pockets and I'm like, hmm, he does have that five unit. It does have opportunity. You know, I did see the inspection report. So I, I messaged him back. I was like, hey, I'm thinking, you know, instead of, you know, instead of maybe paying me so much commission, uh, how about I purchase that? And he was like, are you sure? I was like, yeah. Um, now, I'm making the, the story sound way easier than it was because I was probably trembling when I was calling him in the whole process. I asked probably well, the let, night before. Let, I, I was going to say, let's pause on that, right? Like, can we can we dive into that a little bit? Because I think, like, you're right. We do gloss over, like, that that initial conversation in a lot of these podcasts. But let's drill down on that. Like, what were you thinking before you called him to pitch him that offer? And how did you kind of... I don't know, break through that fear and, and actually move forward with, with, with uh, pitching him on it. So I was representing the buyer side. And man, he kept on saying, man, this is a great deal, man. I can't believe you found this. And th- he was saying all those things. I was like, is it a great deal? Okay, I didn't even know. And and he got the inspection report. He's like, it's not much I got to fix on this at all. And I'm like, oh, man, he got a good deal here. Now, when the deal didn't go through and he wasn't able to get the financing, and I'm like, then I start thinking about my journey, and I've been looking at smaller places, duplexes, things like that. This is a five unit, and I'm like, man, I got the money. It's a little bigger than what I thought, and I got the inspection report. You know, this is an investor around the area who has tons of properties, and he's saying this one's great. You know, why am I going to pass this along? And that's when I, you know, that's when I finally broke through, and I would say, and this is the biggest part. And I think this is what keeps me moving. My fiance and my brothers, they're the ones that are always going to encourage me because I think I can sometimes stop myself where they're like, they could see it from the outside and see how good I am or how talented I am. And they're like, Gus, just do it. What do you got to lose? And I'm like, and I'm bringing up like a million reasons why. And they're like, Gus, it's a win. Everyone's telling you it's a win. You know, and I'm like, you know what? I made the phone call and then we put it under contract. Gus, I have to ask, how did you make the deal work when it fell through for the first person when they went to go get that appraisal? Was just saving that 6% commission enough to make the deal work or did you make an all cash offer? How was your offer different than somebody else where they couldn't make it work? I wish I could have made an all, all cash offer. I would have got cheaper. But no, um, so I was. It, so he used one bank, one commercial bank, and they told him no. Um, but they didn't do a, uh, they didn't bring an appraiser to go inside the house. They did, uh, I think it's called a book appraisal, something along those lines. Like a desk appraisal? Yeah. They just look at other comps and they don't actually go in the house. So the bank I was going to, I was very adamant about them getting an appraiser going into the house. Um, so I didn't know it was going to go through. I was crossing my fingers, hoping, you know, when that appraiser comes back, it, it hits the number it needs to hit. You know, even if it didn't, I felt like I would have put the money in uh, to make the difference because that was a very good investment still right now before the project I'm working on right now. Um, it's my best money maker. Um, so I would have probably made the difference if that was the case. But um, that's what made me go ahead and 
uh, put that through and the bank it actually appraised 10k higher so so people out there you know one bank might tell you no but you go to another bank and they'll give you the opposite information. So take get multiple opinions on things. Not even just the bank, but like the the appraisals too, right? Like Ash, have you have you had to challenge any appraisals recently? I never have, but um, our friend Tyler Madden, who we had on recently, he had just challenged an appraisal and got it a lot higher than what it actually appraised for. Yeah, totally. I've I've had two issues with appraisals recently. the The first one, the property came in thirty thousand dollars under uh, what the contract price was. We were able to successfully challenge the appraisal. I pointed out some flaws uh, in that appraisal's in, uh, initial uh, report, and then we had another property where this one we actually did have to had had to get like a different lender, but it was a $100,000 difference in the appraisal. It was $530,000 with one appraiser and then $630,000 with the second appraiser. So my, my point in sharing that is that appraisals are more art than science. And you can have the same people or, or the two different people walk the same exact property and you'll get two totally different opinions of value. So if your first appraisal comes back lower than what it should be, don't be afraid to really put the onus on your lender to go out there and challenge that appraisal for you. And if all else fails and find another lender. Definitely, definitely. Um, and, and I'll say this one last part too. Um, what made me comfortable making the deal? So when I got into real estate, in you know, I took a four hundred one k out, and I was doing my marketing online. A property management team actually reached out to me and were like, "Hey, we want you to help us lease lease apartments." So while I was being an agent, I was. And I didn't know if that was going to pan out or not. I was doing that on the side. So that made me understand the rental market a lot better also. So now that I have this property in front of me, the biggest thing that was glaring was these rents are a lot lower than what they could get, especially being in a college town. Um, so that was another thing I want to add in that made me confident on pulling the trigger on this particular home. Let's talk about that because Tony and I always harp on, you know, if you want to get into real estate, get even a side hustle in real estate and becoming a leasing agent is a great one. Even if you're just doing, you know, showings on Sunday and it's, it's part time. What did it kind of take for you to be a, a, a leasing agent? Um, like I said, just them seeing me grind on the social media. Um, so if I got a listing, here's a, I'm going to give everyone a tip, especially if you're an agent, Facebook marketplace, you know, you got these barter, barter pages sometimes once you post on those pages and you're, you're, you're continuously posting on those pages, people get familiar with you. And that's how the, uh, property management team got familiar with me. And so it was a quick transition on to do rentals instead of, you know, posting houses that I got for listings on there posting uh, potential li uh, potential apartments that you know I'm renting out. Now, I would say when I started posting the apartments, that helped me on the real estate end because now I'm posting a lot more on those barter pages what I knew was gonna be a huge benefit for me. Uh, but yeah, so they found me on social media, we talked. They probably, I, I don't wanna say that, but I wasn't getting the biggest amount of money doing this. Uh, but it was money coming in while I was still waiting for my real estate end to like flourish and get a great return. Gus, could you give us maybe three things that you learned from being a leasing agent that, you know, a real estate agent may not know and something that has helped you with your investing? Yeah. Uh, so one, how to vent individuals um, who are going to rent out their apartments. 
uh, this particular questions that I asked right at the beginning uh, that made me, you know, either want to move forward with this individual as far as even taking them onto the showing. Uh, the biggest thing is also I get to see their Facebook. Not that I'm judging anyone, but if it's public knowledge, I'm able to go ahead and take a look at that. Um, another thing is I'm, I would say is I'm meeting individuals who aren't ready to buy yet. And they just, they're either they're just moving to that particular area. So not only am I helping them find a place to rent, but now I have those pay people on drip campaigns that they're going to uh, transition over to buying homes. So in a year, two years later, those individuals I helped as renters, they're getting my drip campaigns, which I don't have to, you know, you know, I don't have to call them every other week or things along those lines. Those campaigns keep me in front of them. Now, when it's time for them to go ahead and purchase a home, who's been in their face the whole time? The drip campaigns and the social media, because um, I normally add them also so they could see what I'm doing as far as real estate wise. And the third thing I would say is I made being with that property management team opened up so many more doors for me as far as people I met. You know, I was able to sell higher price homes because individuals, those individuals that worked at that particular company would introduce me to people and it put me on a different plateau to a degree. Uh, so those are the three things that, that stand out to me. I don't know if I answered your question right, but I got sweaty palms right now. So I'm just trying to spit out as much info as possible. No, that was great, especially for being put on the spot. I think those three things are awesome that you can learn from being a a leasing agent as you're getting started into investing, just learning how to vet an individual, um, setting up that drip campaign so that if you have another end game, um, like you wanted to sell them a house down the road, you're taking advantage of both of that. And then also getting to know the the property management team. And that was a big part for me too, as the being a property manager for an investor, I got access to his network mm -hmm. and getting to know people and connect with them. Uh, so that was great. That was really awesome, Gus. Yeah, I don't know. I think I've shared this before, but I worked as like a leasing agent after college for like two months and I wasn't there very long, obviously. But yeah, there, I think there's there's such insights that you gain by kind of being firsthand in a company that already has most of their stuff figured out, right? And you can take and adopt some of those things and, and apply them in your own business. So man, I guess I, I just like, I, I just want to recap, right? Because like, you know, we're, we're moving kind of fast here, but it's, it's like you, you have this job where you're, you're kind of trying to climb the corporate ladder. You make this decision to bet on yourself. You, you like literally bust your butt and hustle for a couple of years where you, so you can build up your own business, right? You know, get, get yourself working as an entrepreneur. And then when you finally have the time or when you finally have the financial ability, you start buying your, your first uh, investment property. And then it's just like massive scale from there. So I want to, I want to dial in a little bit more on how you've been able to scale because you, you get that first investment property. You said it was a five unit, right? But you, you, you went from five to, you said 23 is what you have right now. So kind of walk us through that journey. Like, how did you, you know, after you closed that first one, how did you knock out so many more properties in such a short period of time? All right. So when I was a real estate agent, like, and I, I go back to this, I sold 50 my first year, 71 my second year, 108 my third year. So the funds were coming in. So um, August 2020, I brought the five unit. January uh, of 2021, I brought a three unit and I fixed two of the units up and increased the rent. The rent, they were getting fairly low rent. It was like 1400 I increased the rent to $3,000. Uh, so that was my second investment. And I put 20% on that one. 
Um, my third investment, I put 20% on that one. That was in March of 2021. That was a three unit. Um, now, I'm starting to notice, yeah, and these 20% are, you know, really adding up here. Um, but I think my fourth one was when I f did my first burr. Um, and that was after a long time of hearing you guys talk about it, me doing research. I'm like, okay, so if I buy it cash and I do my numbers right, I run the comps, it, and it comes out to this number, I get 80% back on that particular number, that would cover what I purchased it for and the, uh, what it took to fix it. I was like, okay. So I found the place randomly. It's like all my deals sometimes are randomly. It's not stuff I'd be looking for, especially the ones that I find that are off market. So I found this house, 70000 um, we gave, I hired a, gen, a general contractor who I'm still working with today. So that's another relationship I met that I'm very thankful for. I want to ask you about that because that is the hardest, as soon as you mentioned, you're going to do the birth strategy. I wanted to ask you this because this is the hardest part about doing the birth strategy is finding a contractor and managing the rehab. So how did you find your contractor and how did you manage the rehab? So our uh, insurance agent is in BNI, and he shared, I guess they have meetings, they meet up, and then they try to help promote each other. Randomly, he promoted a contractor, and I'm looking for a contractor because I told you my second property, I did some um, fixing up to that one. It wasn't a burr. I just put some money into it, and I went through hell with it. Uh, the contractors were the worst. So I'm still looking for a contractor. So he shared this guy's page. He shared this guy's page. Said he was a great guy. So that tells me that this guy's respectable in the area. This is not just Joe Smo. You find maybe on Facebook Marketplace or anything along those lines. This is a respectable guy in the area. So I met with him. He's like, Yeah, I know you. You're all over Facebook. I was like, Sweet. So that makes it even better because he probably thinks I'm. This big time investor where I'm starting off in my career, so maybe he'll go a little harder for me, you know, in the long run. So um, he met he met with me at the house. He he did a phenomenal job. I was just going to do simple stuff, and I told him what my budget was. He was able to take this place. Okay, and um, Tony, you actually shared this on one of your podcasts. I was rookie, like rookie of the month or something. Um, and you shared it. It was a clip. I actually stole the clip and put it on my social media. Gus, that's why your name sounds so familiar because you're a rookie rock star. <laughs> yes, that's where I was. Yes. I was like, I know Gus's name from somewhere. And it's because you're a rookie rock star in one of the previous episodes. So that same property was the property that he did for me. Um, and he made it phenomenal. Um, and we were within budget too. That was the biggest thing that he looked out for. He was like, Gus, you know, I could charge you more for this. I'm thinking we do this instead. And I'm not a like I'm not a contract. I'm like, hey, bro, whatever works. Maybe at that time it's not it wasn't the best. I should know more at that particular time, but I did it. That was the truth. And he was like, here's how we can help you out, and we'll do X, Y, and Z. So uh, he finished the project. I was into that project with nothing out of my pocket at all, and I the rest of the money I think it was like about. 2000 that was left you know that's 2000 i don't need i know if it was a larger amount you know i would have took that money and moved it over to another home uh but it was a perfect birth situation i rented that place out for 2800 um 2800 everything included and it's my second highest uh producing property right now so now that i'm looking i was like man the burrs are making more sense than the 20 percent uh so i probably brought one more 
four unit for the 20% amount. And I knew that was my last one. So right now where I, I'm in, everything has been burrs from right now. Now, also, I would say I had a pivot. So I was buying burrs that were two units, four units. And then I had a pivot to single family homes because there are I'm not finding any more multi-units anymore. So I got to go with single families now. So right now I'm working on two single families. Hopefully, you know, they work out for me. I want to talk a little bit about the property management side now. So we touched on rehab. Did you use the property management company that you were um, working with as a leasing agent? Or did you decide to self-manage because you got a glimpse into their systems? How did that kind of work out for your properties? So I was going to be my own property manager at the beginning until there was a flood in the, I mean, in the toilet. And I got there and the girl looked at me like I knew what I was doing. And I was just going to call a plumber. So she looked at me and I'm watching it flood. I'm like, and she's like, what are we going to do? I'm like, I'm going to be right back. So uh, um, we got it fixed. But I knew with being an agent, trying to find properties for myself, you know, I knew I couldn't be a property manager. I didn't want to take on too much. So that's when I went to my, my old guys and said, hey, can you guys take care of this for me? And then they were right behind me and they managed all my properties. Now, I will say this. As an individual who leased out apartments himself, there's some apartments I want to stretch the money. So instead of having them do it, I'll do it myself. So there's a particular property I just recently brought that I managed to stretch out the money wanted to get maximum dollar. And I knew how they go ahead and rent things. It may be an issue for them. So I was like, let me go ahead and rent this out for myself. Now, did it take longer probably than I wanted to? Yes. But I wanted to get top dollar for these particular units. Um, so I knew I had to put in that work in myself. And I was able to go ahead and get that accomplished. Can you give me an example of why that would be different what are the things you did different than the leasing agent for the property management company does that you were able to get that that extra rent? All right, so they're going to watch this. So um, they use a special <laughs> met. Uh, they use a special metric to go ahead and get renters into their place. Now I don't have to use that same metric because it's my place. I just have to be comfortable and do my due diligence with that particular person. Um, so it's in the college town and I'm really, most of my investments are in the college town. As long as I meet the person, they fit the criteria of the questions that I've asked them and their parents co-sign with them, that puts me in a great situation to be able to get them to sign. And especially, I'm, I think this is a huge thing too. If you're post-grad or seniors, um, I think that's a big plus because that tells me that your younger years of going buck wild are behind you and you're more focused on on getting the goal done as far as graduating. So for those particular things, to me, it's somewhat easy to find. Um, but that's just me myself. I'm, I, I think I'm a great person as far as reading character and reading people. So I'm going off my guts. No systems, just what I think. <laughs> We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, 
you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP Like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, Gus, congratulations on on that that amazing growth and scale. And, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned earlier that sometimes you'll send a note back to those old bosses and just let them know how, how well you're doing, right? Um, but I, I want to take one specific deal. Um, if we can kind of do a, a, a deal review for, for one of these deals. So do you have one in mind? Um, you want one that's already rented out because the deal, the one of the uh, projects I'm working on is probably going to be my best one. Yeah, whichever one you want, we can go with that one. Yeah, if you want to go with that one, let's roll with it. Cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with some uh, some rapid fire questions first, Gus, just to kind of set the table for our listeners, and then we'll we'll go into to the details from there. So, uh, what type of property is this? It's a fourplex. Gotcha. And what city is it located in? Uh, it's in Old Town, Maine. Old Town, Maine. And what was the uh, the purchase price? Uh, Seventy thousand. All right, fourplex, Old Town, Maine. Uh, sorry, Ash, I'm like blinking on our rapid fire questions. What else am I forgetting to ask? Uh, what strategy is this going to be? Short term rental, long term rental? Long term rental. Okay, and how did you finance the property? I I brought that one cash. Okay. So if you want to kind of oh, and then one more thing is where did you get the deal from? How did you find it? Um, a client I helped sell their home introduced me to their parents. Uh, their parents had that property. It's been empty for 10 years. 
Um, so it was another one, like I said, all my ones have been random that I've been able to find. So I want to ask you about that real quick before we actually go into the details of the deal. Are you telling anyone and everyone that you're looking for these properties or are you asking, Hey, just if you know anybody that's selling property, let me know. Or are these people just randomly mentioning it to you and you're not even broadcasting or telling anyone what you're doing? I tend to think, uh, this is how I think. I tend to think when you're talking to someone who's, who's in real estate, you tend to bring up everything you know in, as far as in real estate or people that you know that are, you know, are looking to do something or accomplish something. So this individual, um, I'm, I'm listing their property and they're telling me, oh, my parents got this place, it's a dump, this and that, that and that, that and this. Then I start asking questions, what is it? You know, And he's like, it's a four unit, where is it? Old Town, Maine. Now, Old Town is the same town that I invest in. That's the uh, university. So, Orono and Old Town are right next to each other. Those are the the college towns. So, I say, hey, I can I can list that for you and sell it for you. You know what I mean? So, my intent is to sell it to him if it doesn't fit my criteria. Mm-hmm. So, when I met with his parents, we went to the particular property. Um, I I brought my GC with me. I was like, I'm bringing my GC with me to see how bad the property is. Now we go, we take a look at the property. My GC was like, take it, take it, take it. So at my time, uh, at my thinking is, you know, what do you guys would want to sell it? What would satisfy you? They give me a price. I say, you know what? We don't even have to put it on the market. Here's what I'll do. And I'll take it. So I kind of, they created the price. And then I kind of purchased it from there. That's awesome, Gus. And I just kind of wanted to prove a point there that just talking about real estate, talking about what you want to do and listening to to other people, is there, that's a great way to find deals. Just the power of referrals of somebody saying, hey, you know, I heard somebody say they were talking about selling this and I know you buy real estate and making that connection. And so just tell anyone and everyone what you want and what you're looking for and that shouldn't be your only lead source where you're just waiting for people to bring you deals, but it definitely um, adds a lot of value when you do get those, uh, the, the freebies that come in, I like to call them. So, okay. So let's continue on with your deal. You want to kind of give us a story. Um, you talk about how you found it, how you got it, and then talk about maybe uh, the the financing of it and go into the details and where it's at now. Yeah. So well, one thing I want to shed light on is, I, you know, I'm saying a lot of things and I want people to check out my social media because everything's documented on my Facebook business page. Um, but so this particular property I brought for seven, 70000 uh, My GC I originally told you guys about originally. He's the one that came with me, said thumbs up. I got some big plans for this. So we put it under contract. Uh, we have an appraiser comes out to, uh, to come to see it. My GC writes up a whole foot plan for the property. We, we added an addition onto the property. So this four unit had four, nine bedrooms um, for the whole building. We added an addition to add on extra bedrooms in a laundry room also. So the laundry room is going to have two sets of washer and dryers that are going to be coin operated. Now, with that being said and done, the appraiser comes in. He appraises the place for, I believe, 430 so I'm able to go ahead and get 80% of that 430. Uh, so that keeps me um, roughly around where I need to be. I'll be, you know, giving out a little bit money on it. But what's 10,000 at the end of the day? I'm going to get a, a property that's going to produce 7,000 a month, 
and the mortgage, taxes, insurance on the property is going to be just below three thousand. To me, that's a win. Wait, Gus, can I can I clarify? So you you bought this property for seventy thousand dollars, right? Yes. And the appraisal came back at four hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Yes. That, you're saying that real calm and collected, man. That is that is like one of the biggest spreads I think I've heard on this show. So, I mean, give us an idea of what the rehab looked like. Like, is this going to be like, you know, a, a $60,000 rehab job or like a $300,000 rehab job? Oh, no, it's going to be a huge rehab job. So we're looking at uh, 270, 280 around there uh, as far as rehab wise. Um, I think that's my... Uh, GC being modest, but like I said, I'm probably going to be in it for some money. So that 80%, I'm probably going to go over that amount, just barely. But to me, that's well worth it. So some some birds are going to be perfect. Some birds are going to make money. This one, I'm going to put in money to it, but it's going to be a perfect property for the area it's in and the cash flow I'm going to make over it. I think we don't touch on that enough that it's okay to leave money into a bird that you can still make a great return and you can still have a good cash on cash return and you can be cash flowing. Um, and you're the more money you leave into the deal, the lower your uh, monthly payment is. So if you can afford and the deal and the numbers still work, leaving cash in, that's, you can still jump up and down that it's a great deal. Um, cause I think sometimes people say, well, you, they like hesitate and try to justify, well, it wasn't a perfect deal. I'm leaving money in it still can be a great deal and put money into it. So um, congratulations on that that deal, Gus. I want to say one thing to what uh, to- Tony said. Now, now remember this deal, I didn't find this deal. Well, I, you know, I wasn't looking for the deal. The deal came to me. So I could let that deal go because my numbers aren't perfect or I could try to make it work to the best of my capabilities. Uh, so the, the, it was a huge rehab project. It, it, I'm not going to lie and sit here and, you know, tell you something different. And I was scared. And this goes back to me going on Clubhouse. As far as I'm bringing this house up to people on Clubhouse way before I even, you know, decided to move forward with it. And everyone's like, go, man, do it, do it. And they're talking about way, doing way bigger deals, investing way more money into their deals. So it made me feel comfortable with them telling me uh, to move forward. My general contractor telling me to move forward. My brothers, my, my fiance. So I want to put a full circle on everything I've been saying for me to be able to move forward on a project that's going to be close to 300 grand on. Now, my GC did say we could tear this down and rebuild, uh, but I decided not to listen to him. <laughs> so Gus, last question for me on this deal is, uh, we know you paid uh, cash for the 70 grand, but what are your plans to finance this almost $300,000 rehab? Now, uh, so I... Like I said, the uh, commercial uh, department sent an appraiser out to my property. They appraised it to finish. Uh, so the property wasn't finished. They were just going off my blueprints. That's how we were able to get the 430. So um, after it's said and done, because right now we're in the paying interest um, section of the- Gotcha, gotcha. So you, you've got like construction debt for this correct, property. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. That's 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 awesome, man. I'll be at a four point. Seven five interest rate because of when we initially started the process, which to me right now, looking at interest rates where they are right now, yeah. that's still a win. Um, is but it is on a five year, uh, five years for that particular interest rate. So there's no telling where the interest rates can go. So I, I, I think that's the parts sometimes we don't shed light on. It, it could get real 
bad in five years, but. Well, one additional follow-up to that, Gus. So uh, just to make sure that I'm, I'm understanding the, the loan product and the listeners are as well. So um, basically the, the bank is saying, hey, we're going to lend you um, all of the money you need for your purchase and your rehab as long as you say under 80% of the after repair value. Now, are they fronting you the money for the rehab or is it a draw system where you have to pay out of pocket, then, then they send like an inspection and then you get reimbursed? All right, so there's no inspection. So basically, um, when my guy sends me the invoice, I forward the invoice to my banker, and my banker cuts a check to pay them directly. That's awesome. I had a very similar setup when I started investing in uh, in Louisiana, where I pretty much had no money out of pocket for the rehab. The GC would just get paid out directly from the bank, and, and they would front everything. So Gus, I guarantee after this episode airs, you're going to have so many people reaching out to you asking what bank you're using out there in Maine because that that's a that's a pretty solid deal, man. Definitely, definitely a great bank. Uh, they've been real flexible. And okay, I'm gonna say this last thing. You guys didn't ask about this, but I think this is another good thing. Yeah, I was paying out of pocket uh, cash to buy some of these burrs. Now I'm at the point because I learned from you guys. I learned from the other avenues credit. Now I have business credit where I have credit lines now. So that's going to open up a new door for me where I could get like four to five properties and have my team working on those. You know what I mean? So I'm going to upscale quite a bit because of the business credit. I suggest everyone out there definitely talk to your bankers about it because it's going to open a lot more doors for you. Well, Gus, thank you uh, so much for diving into that deal with us and sharing um, how you were able to to get that property done. And we're excited to see the finished product. So Make sure everyone checks out Gus's social media um, and we'll be able to follow along. Okay, so we're going to move on to our rookie request line. This is where you can call in and leave us a voicemail and we will have our guest answer the question on the show. You can call in at one 888 5 So today's question is from Jeff. Hey, love the show. My name is Jeff and I'm calling from Rhode Island. I have an opportunity to buy an investment property. It serves as a college property, more so we rent to college kids to a local university nearby. It also serves as a beach town where in the summer you can rent for vacationers. So my question is, would you have those college kids just cover the mortgage, charge them enough rent where the mortgage is covered and taxes, property insurance, all that stuff, and then you really don't have much cash flow coming in and hope the that in the summertime, you could charge upwards to 2500 to 3000 per week. So just curious about that. Any experience with college renters? And then the unique case where you can also have vacationers from June up to August. Thanks. So just listening to the question. Now, he, saw, he said about renters going into the place and they were just covering the taxes, insurance, and mortgage and not having any cash flow. Is that correct? Yeah. So he's saying if he just rented it to break even... Um, to college kids from September to June when they're done with college. And then over the summer, July and August have uh, it almost as a short-term rental, short-term it rental. appears. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then if that's the case, then, you know, why not? You know, it, it, you're looking at the deal. It seems like he's already breaking it down and he's just getting confirmation on, should I, you know, pull the trigger on this? If you're going to be able to make 2,500 a week in the summer and it's in an area where you feel confident that you're going to be able to get that, then I would pull the trigger on that. You know, let the college kids carry the mortgage, and then where you're going to go ahead and cash out is in the summertime. 
Uh, but just make sure that what you think as far as what you're going to be able to get for uh, the short-term rentals in um, the summer, make sure those are legit numbers and make sure you're doing your due, due, due diligence at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and to add on to the due diligence part is look at what the market rent is in that college town. What are other college kids paying for rent? Because maybe you can actually charge more than what it would cover to cost um, to cover the mortgage and your your expenses. So I think look at that number and figure out what that the rent you can actually charge to your research instead of just saying, you know what, I just need enough to break even. That's what I'm going to charge. So look at that market rent. And then also, I know when I was in college that a lot of the um, college properties that you could rent were, you would start your lease in August, and then it would end in July. So it was actually a full year lease because school usually starts in August for college, and then would end around like May, June time too. So look what that is. And then if you are going to do it as a short term rental, you're going to have to furnish it over the summer. So make sure you add in your cost of are you going to bring movers in and furnish the whole place for two months and then pay the movers to take all the furniture back out when the college kids move in. So factor in that you're completely changing strategies and you'll have to have those expenses in the, the fall and the, the spring to kind of switch your house to change gears. One thing I would say also is he said break even in the college town. So that tells me that the house is kind of at a higher price. Um, where it's more beneficial for the short-term rental than it is for the uh, for the everyday renter, long-term renters. Uh, so, you know, maybe just want to throw this out to that person. Maybe continue to look at deals and weigh your options. Are there any other better options you could and compare those deals to other deals that are around to make sure that's the best way you want to go about that? Yeah, and that's the, the beauty of investing in real estate. There's always multiple options, multiple exit strategies, multiple ways you can make money with the same property. So appreciate your your insights there, Gus. Um, so as we start to wrap things up, Gus, we got one last big segment for you, and this is our rookie exam. These are the three most important questions you will ever be asked in your life. So Gus, are you ready for them? Let's go. <laughs> All right. Question number one, what's one actionable thing Ricky should do after listening to your episode? Um, I think rookies should have start having conversations with people in multiple fields uh, as far as a leasing agent, a real estate agent, an investor. The more well-rounded you are as an investor moving forward, the more benefit is going to be for you. And not just those things, builders, you know, every, get in contact with as many people as possible because it's going to go ahead and make you a better investor at the end of the day and make you more money in the long run. The next question is, what is one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business? I'm, I'm not going to sit here and lie. I mean, I use a notepad on my phone. But other than that, I don't have CRMs. I don't have – and my, uh, my partner at the agency, the broker, is probably going to get mad. But I do everything on the fly, and that could be a bad thing, but I don't have any systems. Um, most times I give my stuff over to my bookkeeper. She organize, organizes everything for me. Um, and I push along that way. I want to be able to give the truth on here and my truth. So I don't have any systems. Sorry. Hey, outsourcing, uh, using who, not how by having a bookkeeper. I think that's a, a great example right there. And I love that response to you guys, because I think oftentimes, especially for rookies, they, they overcomplicate getting started. 
and you did you know over 100 transactions as an agent with the notepad app on your iphone right so it shows what's possible if you just focus on getting things done so appreciate the transparency so last question for you guys where do you plan on being in five years um so and I've been talking about this a lot with a lot of people is I want to be able to start developing. Um, you know, that's my goal. Um, I think in, in a year span is short term rentals because there's a lot of money to be able to be made in short term rentals. So I think I have my foundation down after this year with the long term rentals. As far as that money coming in, I want to venture out to short term rentals in my area. Um, after that, then I want to venture outside of my outside of my state. Um, as far as the money that's out of there. And then at the, uh, my probably end goal is developing new builds, uh, which I'm working at. And hopefully in five years, I'll be able to do that. All right. Awesome, Gus. Well, appreciate you, man. I think you aced the exam. Uh, really appreciate you sharing your insights there. So last segment here is our rookie rock star. And today's rookie rock star is Anna Robinson Brumbau. And hopefully I got your last name right there, uh, Anna. But Anna says, closed on our first investment property yesterday. Um, thought I'd share how much work <laughs> it is. If she's at, Sorry, let me say that again. Thought I'd share how we made it work as I've seen others do before. Uh, so Anna is a local realtor and the seller was referred to her um, from a friend who needed to sell quickly to help their mom out. So really similar to some of your situations, Gus. Um, but anyway, Anna hit a snag with the roof. So as she was obtaining financing, the roof came up uh, that it was at the end of its life and it needed to be replaced in order for the insurance to cover it, which obviously is, is tricky. Um, apparently they're in Florida, so we know what, what the weather gets like in Florida. Uh, but they increased the purchase price by the total cost of the roof and the roofer got paid at closing with the seller's proceeds. That's really cool. I've actually never seen it structured that way before. Uh, but Anna says the appraisal came in at $370,000 with $2,700 market rent. And uh, they have a tenant moving in next week at $3,000 per month. So Anna, congratulations. Way to get creative with the closing process and make sure you still got the deal done. Great job, Anna. Well, Gus, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Real Estate Rookie. Can you let everyone know where they can find out some more information about you, reach out to you, and of course, follow along on your journey? Yeah. So guys, if you want to reach out to me, it's Gus O'Philly. That's O-F-I-L-I, my last name, on Facebook. Gus O'Philly, E-R-A Dawson. That's my business page on Facebook. And now you may not see many followers on my IG, but I just started it. And that's Gus O'Philly Realtor. I mean, Gus O'Philly Real Estate Agent on um, IG. So check me out there. And I'm down to help, help anyone out that's looking to get some advice on things. Thank you, Gus, so much. Well, I'm Ashley at Wellform Rentals. And he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. 
Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.